Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Teams have recovered the body of a skier who was killed in an avalanche Friday near Electric Lake in Emory County. According to the Utah Avalanche Center, one skier made it down to the bottom, but his partner failed to show up. And when the first guy went back to find him, he discovered an avalanche about two feet deep. What you're listening to is news coverage wide. of an avalanche death from KTVX in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Regina Miller. Thank you for joining us for Everything Under the Sun, the AccuWeather podcast. Pretty serious podcast this week and some really sad statistics. 11 avalanche fatalities in the U.S. just this season. There were six skiers, five snowmobilers, and eight of those deaths were just in the month of January. Today we're talking to director Mark Staples of the Utah Avalanche Center and also Dan Burnett. He is the group mission coordinator at the Summit Rescue Group in Breckenridge, Colorado. Stay with us and we will talk about some of the science and the rescues that they've both encountered. I'm joined on the phone now by Dan Burnett. He's the group mission coordinator at Summit Rescue Group in Breckenridge, Colorado. Thanks for joining me today, Dan. It's a pleasure. Can you talk to me a little bit about your group? The Summit County Rescue Group, until very recently, had the dubious distinction of being the avalanche capital of the United States. So we have lots of avalanches in Summit County, Colorado, and they're generated by a lot of people who come here to enjoy the backcountry. Well, tell me about um, some recent rescues maybe that you have had. Um, fortunately, in the last three days, we've had three avalanche calls. None of them were actually rescues. Um, you get a lot of false alarms when you're responding to avalanches because the people that see them aren't watching right right the instant that they start, and so they don't really know if somebody's buried in them, in them or not. It's been, it's been literally 10 months since we've actually dug somebody out of an avalanche. Let's talk about avalanches, kind of the science, uh, the science of these avalanches. My perspective is the perspective of um, 39 years of responding to avalanches. The, the search and rescue people, our team has 65 people on it, and it takes a lot of, a lot of very skilled people to even get to the scene of avalanches because they happen in the backcountry. Most of the people that get caught in avalanches, interestingly, are experts in the area. that You have to be very good at your passion, whether that's um, downhill skiing, alpine skiing, cross-country skiing, snowmobiling, snowshoeing, whatever. You have to be pretty good at it to get to where the avalanche danger actually happens. It's very rare for people to be going along, minding their own business, you know, in town or uh, even on, on a trail and be caught by an avalanche. you got to be pretty expert in your area. What are some of the weather cues? Um, you know, like, is there one part of the season that's worse than another when it comes to, you know, how common avalanches are? And I think, I think that's a misunderstanding that most people, you know, that haven't really been around avalanches much. I mean, avalanches are the greatest example of weather that you ever see because of how it intensifies the result of weather 
and oftentimes in death and destruction. But it's just very fascinating to see that 90% of avalanches that happen naturally happen during the snowstorm. So for that reason, most people don't ever even see the avalanche happen because it happens in the blizzard or in the wind event. But then there's the human triggers. And when people go out on their snowmobiles, which snowmobiles have taken over as being the the leading cause of people being caught in avalanches by far because the, the new snowmobiles are so powerful and so light they can get into really dangerous places in a few seconds. Most of the time you don't get to see an avalanche because it's in a blizzard that it happens. But if you put on top of the snowpack just right after a storm, a skier or a snowshoer or a snowmobiler, you can have avalanches in the beautiful, you know, on a beautiful sunny day a couple of hours after the storm has left. And that's that's what leads to the disasters that we see. And I think it's interesting that you say that because a lot of times the video that we see of an avalanche is on like beautiful in beautiful weather because that's when somebody was out there to capture it on camera. We I think our society as a whole has kind of a a faulty view of avalanches. Um, they think that the avalanche to be worried about is a massive slide that comes thousands of feet down a craggy mountain. Well, the the truth of the matter is is that most of the fatalities that I've dug out of snow have been in little gullies, just and there's trees around. People think if, if you're in the trees, you would be safe from avalanches, but an avalanche goes right through the trees. It sieves right through the trees with no problem at all. It's usually people being smacked into trees or rocks that actually kills them in an avalanche. So it's not the big, you know, the big Walt Disney, you know, coming down thousands of feet. An avalanche may be the size of somebody's yard. And you're saying they can yeah. be small-scale events. Yeah, the ones that'll, we call it a terrain trap. If you get caught in an avalanche, that's another misconception. I mean, our, we, our whole time could be spent talking about misconceptions, but people think of av- avalanches as being a fluffy event that pushes you down the hill, and if you're a good skier, you could just ski out of it, because that's what's shown in, in action videos. But the truth could, is very far from that. Avalanches are very, very rough. The The fact that the snow, once it starts moving, all the little, all the snowflakes, all the crystals in the snowflakes break. And so when the avalanche comes to an abrupt stop, whether that only be a few seconds later or, you know, or a longer path that could go more than a few seconds, when it comes to a stop, all that snow has built up so much heat from all those crystals breaking that it instantly freezes as solid as a sidewalk. If, if you're buried more than six inches underneath that snow, you can't get up. And like I said, most people are actually killed by being slammed into rocks or trees. And a very little avalanche in a gully that has a terrain trap that it can't go anywhere, just goes into the other side of the gully, will smash you. And that's, sorry to be so harsh, but that, it's, it is interesting that we we all watch movies of these big avalanches and how cool it is to just snowmobile or ski right out of it. Well, it doesn't work like that because once it starts churning over and over, it's kind of like a wave in the ocean. It, once you're in it, it takes you down. De- and if when it stops a few seconds later, if you're at the bottom of the wave, you're underneath it, you're dead. If you're if you're lucky enough to be rotated around and spit out the top, there's a chance you could survive with only broken bones. But it's it's very very brutal. Well, I think uh, it's interesting that you compare it to a wave. So if you're in a wave and you get caught and you get pulled under, that's one thing. But in an avalanche, I never thought about it this way. But as you describe it, as it's rolling, you're rolling with boulders. Yep. You're rolling into trees. It's a little different from rolling in the ocean. You know, the snow coming down the hill is just water. Your body is water. You're just a few more molecules of water added to 
to all the billions of molecules of water that that avalanche is. One of the misconceptions is that people think that they can swim to safety or create an air pocket by using their hands and make an air pocket. You can't make an air pocket when the violence is so severe that literally the people we dig out of avalanches have the equivalent of a bowling ball of snow crammed into their mouth. I wow. mean, it is violent. Wow. And it pushes you down. So there's no there's no swimming or making an air pocket. The, the only safe way to be around avalanches is to make absolutely sure you're not caught in one. You know, when I talked to you before this interview, um, you know, we were kind of chatting back and forth via text, and you were saying there's not many good stories that come out of an avalanche for your rescues. Have you had some people that survive it where they have had a chance to tell you the story? It, it took me a while to think of a good one because I participated with really good team members digging 37 dead people out of avalanches. It's hard to think of the ones that are good, but one day we had a, a response up on Vail Pass, and Vail Pass is I-70 going through the, you know going through Colorado, so mm-hmm. it's the main highway through Colorado. Right. And an avalanche came down onto the roadway on Vail Pass, and four cars and a semi truck were were buried, and the cars were were stout enough vehicles that the people in the cars all survived. And they were very surprised when we came up with our avalanche dog and found their, first of all, you could find their car under, it was under feet of snow, so there was no sign of the cars. But the avalanche dog could alert to the car. Then we probed the car like a, with long probe poles. That's how you have to find the dogs or the, or the electronics are only good to f- locate the area, then use probe poles to find the person. But finding the cars was easy, but boy, we wrecked those cars with our probe poles, bang, bang, bang. And then um, watching the looks on their faces when we dug down and pulled them out of their windows, the people were totally shocked to find that they were under several feet of snow. Um, my avalanche dog was also pretty shocked because he kind of had an upset stomach because be- the semi-truck was full of Little Debbie donuts. And there <laughs> oh, were thousands no. <laughs> of little Thousands of Little Debbie donuts spewing all over the highway. And so he was running around finding people and eating donuts. <laughs> well, so, you know, that's a good day for both of you. You guys got to make yeah, every- a positive rescue, get some people out of there. Your dog had donuts. That was a good day for both of you. <laughs> <laughs> really a rare day. Tell me about some of the like more tragic mistakes that you know someone has made on the mountain that you've had to go into a rescue the, situation. And it is a tragic mistake. The tragic mistake is that the people that have become expert in their realm, they, you know, they go out and they, they actually know that they're in danger. I'm convinced that almost all the people that I've seen that have been killed have known that they were in danger. And they know that there's a line that if you cross, you're really in a dangerous zone. But, the, you know, it's so fun to snowmobile through that fresh powder, um, ski, th- you know, to ski in that terrain that they go that they are able to push aside the warning bells that are going off in their head and they get caught it it makes me sad cuz you know it may be mo- mothers of people that have been killed in avalanches may be listening to this uh, it's a mother's attitude that they say what can i do to make sure my son oh by the way it's almost all men that are killed in avalanches but what can i do to make sure that my son isn't caught in an avalanche and the only answer is is they can get educated but I think almost everybody that gets caught in an avalanche has been to an avalanche school. I mean, it was just a few days ago that an avalanche school, the, the class itself was caught in an I avalanche in Colorado. So you get more educated, and all that does is make more definition of where the line of danger is. It doesn't really make it so people don't cross that line. They just figure, oh, I can get away with it. I can get away with it this day. So there's 
some thrill-seeking, a little bit of that involved, oh, and then the more educated absolutely. they are, the more they assess that their risk is less because they're educated. So they might be a thrill-seeker, plus they're an educated thrill-seeker, which may be even more dangerous. That is exactly the case. Isn't that, isn't that an interesting thing? It really I also, is. I, I think a really interesting thing would be to find somebody who is a great drone pilot or a great, um, a great painter that could actually capture the drama of what an avalanche really looks like when, when we respond to one. In one sense, responding is so, so exciting because you're with a team of people that are so trained and so skilled, and yet it's just the bleakest event you can imagine. When you come upon the scene of one of nature's most powerful events, I mean trees that are two foot in diameter are snapped off, and then you've got the little teeny specks that are the rescuers, little teeny people in the si- to the size of the mountain, trying to, to sort out this disaster and find the person hopefully in time, which almost never are you in time unless the person is in a car. The, the fact is that it's just drama. It's drama at a very high level. The statistics will say that there, most people that die of avalanches die of suffocation, but that is not what we see in reality. What we see in reality is they're crushed. So there's no really there's not really a chance to save them. But every time you go, you think maybe this is the time that we'll be able to actually save them. Right. Um. You asked me about the harder side many years ago. Now, about halfway through my my time of doing avalanches, I responded to a Shrine Ridge. There's a place called Machine Gun Ridge up on Shrine Mountain. Machine Gun Ridge is where the in World War II where the 10th Mountain Division trained up there. And so that's why it's called oh, that. But okay. there was an avalanche that buried and killed two uh, two brothers, and we went into that, and that that one sticks in my mind also, unfortunately, because in that particular case, I mentioned to you that most of the people that get killed by avalanches kind of have a blank look on their face when you dig them up because they were just bluntly killed and they don't really have any expression. But on that day, one of the one of the brothers had real terror on his face when I dug him out of the snow because he'd actually suffocated rather than being killed by the trauma. And that took me years to overcome that and not quit doing mountain rescue because of that. Uh, and a lot of the people that we that we work with, that really is, a, you know, if you, you really have to be able to go through some some real hard hard situations or you can't be effective at mountain rescue and that was the hardest one for me was seeing the terror on his face because it would be terrifying to be caught in an avalanche. Right, when it, when he, the snow suffocates you. I can't imagine what that would be like being because you're buried alive. There's a, there's a lot of conclusions that, that come from our talk. One conclusion that comes to my mind is that the physics of snow science are really interesting. I was glad to hear that you talked to one of the best guys in the business about that. The fact of the matter is snowpacks and the weak layers in snowpacks are quite are quite fascinating and when those when you have all the different layers one of them is going to fail a lot of your listeners may have had the situation of walking across a meadow on snowshoes or on skis feeling the area around them go whoop you know just right, shift settling you just a little whoop well that's actually an avalanche when that happens if you're on a steep enough slope 30 degree type slope that can start moving and if it starts moving it immediately sucks you under the whole thing that is impossible to grasp at first thought is how that pressure can build up. I mean, it's millions and millions of pounds of pressure, and it's built up in just 15 minutes of the wind. It doesn't even have to be a snowstorm. If you have 15, 20 minutes of a windstorm, it'll move enough snow to make those weak layers, you know, really just barely hanging on, and and the snow will come down. I also think it's super interesting that 
the market now has several devices that will you know make traveling and avalanche terrain safer is what is you know is the idea but i emphasize that that's ridiculous don't don't trust your life to avalanche devices this avalanche that just happened a couple of days ago that killed two people they both have, um the backpacks that inflate right. you know, the, have you heard of those yet that yes, pull a yes cord i have inflate both of the people that were killed were wearing those and so one of them apparently misfired and the other one the guy just couldn't reach to pull the cord to do it but both people died wearing those i don't want to come across as bad for innovation and in, in technological ways of dealing with things when you're in avalanche terrain and you look around and you see signs of of avalanches happening little you know little ones little ones here and there right that that's really the best warning you're going to get because avalanches are so pocket prone they happen in just little you know little areas that the avalanche danger for a whole region could be could be rated relatively low and there still can be pockets of really high danger you know don't don't have your eyes on your equipment or your apps have your eyes on the on the terrain and if you see signs of things moving around or that whumping in the snow right you're in a dangerous spot right. and you should um leave immediately should not be the thrill seeker you should back off and live to ski another day or snowmobile another day yeah so the best way to avoid the danger is don't be there Whenever it's a, it's, it's a <laughs> yeah, likelihood, and, and don't don't rely on your equipment. Just don't be there. Yeah, don't so, be there. back off. Right, you're a volunteer organization, right? Because I would I would like to yes. maybe promote how people because they donate to you. The Summit County Search and Rescue Group is is one of the bigger search and rescue teams in the country because of all the big skiers that are in our region. So we get lots of people in this area. And um, yeah, and we're 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 funded by. It's funny because the money comes from everything from bake sales to donations of different types. But that's uh, that's really not the focus because the the value of the individuals on this team. People ask who pays for these rescues. It, the rescues are actually paid for by the volunteers that do them. They're paid with their equipment, with their time, with their training, with their dedication and their skills. Mm-hmm. But I have to say the teammates that are on my team have skills that are just phenomenal, that are just phenomenal in traveling through the backcountry and knowing about all the different dangers and all the ways that we can help people. I think it would be neat if people that heard this sought out their local rescue organizations and uh, we're supporting of them, obviously. Most of the, you know, most of the rescue teams are not big like we are. Most of them are just a couple of people. Search and rescue is always a function of, of the, in the United States of America, Search and rescue is always a function of the local sheriff. And the sheriff, you know, a couple of, of small county sheriffs, they don't have the they don't have the manpower to really to really do anything when it comes to backcountry rescue. They they have to depend on the volunteers that they get wherever they are in the country. That's the case. I must say it's been very informative, very interesting. I learned a lot just in our conversations. Yeah, do you feel like you wanna don't you feel like you want to be part of the team? That it does. It's inspiring. These mysteries. It do, it's, it's, it's a, inspiring. It is cool to, you go to one of these avalanche disasters, and it is, very, it is shocking how, how much power you're dealing with. It, it's like a hurricane. I mean, it's, it's a big event. It's a big weather right. event. Well, thank you so much. It's been so great to talk to you. We'll uh, make sure to promote your organization and all those mountain rescue organizations out west that could use the help you know, if people are listening and they just want to support you. All right. Thanks, you guys. I'll talk to you later, Regina. 
And before we get to our next interview with Director Mark Staples of the Utah Avalanche Center, I'm joined in the studio right now by Andy Robb, my producer. And Andy, we want to make sure people subscribe. Absolutely. So make sure to go to AccuWeather.com slash podcast to check out the episodes. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your favorite shows. And for more about the Summit County Avalanche Rescue, make sure to check out avalanche.state.co.us. Well, I'm joined on the phone now from Mark Staples. He's the director of the Utah Avalanche Center. So thank you for talking to me today, Mark. Sure thing. Can you tell me a little bit about your organization and what you do? So what we do at the Avalanche Center here in Utah, we give people information about what they can expect when they go out into the mountains skiing or snowmobiling or ice climbing or pretty much anyone who's going to go out in the mountains in the wintertime. This is for in uncontrolled mountainous areas where um, basically you're walking out there on your own and you'd be going blind. You'd have no idea what's, what's happening in the snowpack. And that's our job to let you know. So it's like for people doing backcountry kind of outside of the ski resorts or those areas. That's right. Well, can you tell me what does a typical day look like for your crew trying to assess avalanche dangers? Uh, there isn't a, a typical day, but <laughs> right. there are a lot of things we do. Um, every morning, one of us comes into the office at 4 a.m. and we put together the avalanche forecast. We try and get that out by 7.30, and that basically is taking in a ton of information, weather data, snowpack data, observations from nearby ski areas, observations from the public, our own data, and we try and distill that down into a simple, easy-to-read avalanche forecast. But that's our office day. Uh, One thing that's real important is that we get out onto the snow and we look at where the avalanches are happening. We go look at actual avalanches. We dig into the snowpack and we analyze the layers in the snowpack. And when there are accidents, we go investigate those accidents. Now, this season, um, there's been quite a few. I think I saw that there were 11 avalanche fatalities so far this season, uh, just in the West, not Utah specifically, but uh, Mm -hmm. does it seem like a higher number this year for your area? It's a higher number because the last few seasons we haven't had any, and we were really happy about that, that um, it had actually been 26 years since Utah had gone a winter without an avalanche fatality, and we had two in a row. So we, were, we weren't taking credit, but we were just happy that everyone made it home. Unfortunately, we've had two within about a week's time span this year already. What do you attribute, I mean, are the situations different with the avalanche, you know, the vulnerability this year? Every story is different. Um, Where people, uh, as soon as you involve people in something, it just makes every situation a little bit different. The common theme in the last two avalanches here in Utah, and there have been a few others within the U.S. this year that um, is kind of sad, is that one of them here the person who died did not have the avalanche rescue gear that you would need to find someone buried in avalanche. The second one we had here, the victim had a key piece of avalanche rescue gear, but it was in his pack, not on his body, and it was turned off. So again, they were unable to find him. So unfortunately, in both those cases, we had to respond the following day, and in both those cases, it was an avalanche rescue dog. I found them, but it was too late. 
Yeah, really sad. Uh, so it's it's really a basic part of uh, avalanche safety is to have the proper gear. It's kind of like if you're going on the water, going whitewater rafting or something, you wear a life jacket. Right. You're on an avalanche train, you carry the avalanche rescue gear. It's no guarantee you'll survive. A quarter of the people that die die of trauma because avalanches are incredibly violent. But if you survive the avalanche, it's the only way we can ensure that your partners can find you because they only have about 10, 15 minutes max to come find you. So no one else can come get you. It's got to be the people that you're skiing or snowmobiling or traveling in the mountains with. Right. Tell me about the rescue gear because, you know, what should, I'm assuming that's mostly snowmobilers, skiers, and some of this backcountry. So what should they be carrying with them? It's really simple. There are three things. You need an avalanche transceiver, and that's an electronic device around your body, and it emits a signal. If you're buried in an avalanche, it'll emit a signal. Your partners can take their transceiver, turn it to receive, and it'll detect that signal and bring them in really close to you. The second thing is an avalanche probe. It's like a long uh, tent pole. And the point of that is the avalanche beacon or transceiver will get them very close to you. Then with the avalanche probe, they can poke it into the snow and pinpoint your location exactly. And then the last thing that they need, the third item, is a shovel. So is the problem sometimes that people don't have the gear on them? Like maybe a snowmobiler might have it attached to the snowmobile, but if they get separated... Yes, that's a good point. We see a lot of people who attach their gear to their snowmobile, and it's a big part of our education campaign. Those three items have to be on your body. Tell me about the power of an avalanche. Like, how does one occur, and like, how fast can it move, or the coverage area of that? Yeah, an avalanche can get going, even a small avalanche can get going 60 miles an hour in a matter of seconds. Oh, wow. So you're not going to outrun it. Bigger avalanches can go 80 or 100 miles an hour. It's really deceiving because when you're out on the snow, it's white, it's soft, fluffy, just sort of seems harmless. And a common thing we do in avalanche classes is when we dig down in the snow, once you dig down in the deeper layers of snow, underneath the fluffy stuff on top, you notice it gets really hard. And what we'll do sometimes is pick up a big, not even that big of a chunk, something the size of a tiny little file cabinet and we'll pick it up and like toss it to someone have them catch it and they're always amazed at how heavy snow is right when it's compressed and that's what an avalanche is like it becomes an even bigger problem because a lot of the places we tend to ski or snowmobile are up in these beautiful conifer forests with white bark pines and subalpine firs but as soon as you're going 60 miles an hour through those trees it gets deadly really fast. Now, what are some weather conditions that, you know, are there weather cues that can lead up to an event that you're like recognizing, hey, we might be getting into some serious avalanche concerns here with this weather pattern? Weather does two things. One is that at the beginning of the year or even throughout the year, weather sets the stage. Weather builds the snowpack and the way the snow comes in, the timing of it, how fast it comes in, how slow it comes in, what the temperatures are uh, during the storm, and even more importantly, what the weather is in between storms, sets the stage for future avalanches. And all those variations in weather create layers in the snowpack. In the short term, weather affects avalanche activity because it basically, when you add snow to the snowpack, it adds weight. And the more weight you add and the faster you add it, the more stress you're adding at rapid rate. Basically, when you add stress to something, anything, it breaks. When the snowpack breaks, 
you get an avalanche. So when we see rapid heavy snowfall, the avalanche danger is typically going up. One thing that's not obvious though, winds. So it doesn't necessarily have to be snowing. If the winds are blowing, what they do is they will grab snow from one side of the mountain and drift it to the other side of the mountain. When the wind drifts snow like that, it can actually load a slope 10 times faster than it can fall from the sky. So it can be a beautiful clear day, but if the winds are blowing, so far as that snowpack is concerned, it is dumping snow and the avalanche danger is going up. Okay. Do you have a specific story for you with regard to avalanches? Like a story <laughs> that stands out, like you're, you know, the one that you, would be your go-to. Oh, boy. I, I had my own brush with death one time. I learned a few lessons. Uh, my story wasn't too dramatic, but I've been to a lot of accidents. I've Right. I dug up dead bodies, and I carry every single one of those stories with me. And in each one, I've, there are tons of lessons to be learned, but I, I generally have one particular lesson from all of those. They, they, they kind of just surface up on their own. I'll be out traveling in the mountains, and and maybe there's a spot where I'm a little lower on the slope than I need to be. And I remember a young 20-year-old man named Tyler Stetson who, uh, he was up near Big Sky, Montana, and he just had to cross the shortest, shortest little section of a steep slope and just was going to zip across it, and the avalanche broke inches above him when oh. he was killed. Oh, so and sad. And whenever I'm feeling lazy, I think of Tyler, and I stop, I take my skis off, I take 10 minutes and I walk up and go around the spot that I don't want to cross because I remember Tyler. Because it's not worth it, just something so small. It's so easy otherwise to think, I'll just zip across here. But when I think of Tyler, when I remember his accident, it's a lot easier to make that decision. Well, it's good advice because, you know, uh, that one small step, you know, he's not here anymore because of that. So it's good that you carry that with you. Yes, yes. I mean, I as tragic as these accidents are, I, I feel fortunate that uh, I've been able to go to a lot of them and learn from them. It's made me smarter, and we, we all of us, all of our, our forecasters, try and take. It's challenging because these are these are horrible, tragic events, but we try and retell these stories as much as we can so that everyone else can learn from them. Okay. Well, I thank you for taking some time to talk to me. It's really fascinating and interesting what you do. You bet. Well, thank you to our guest, Director Mark Staples of the Utah Avalanche Center and Dan Burnett, the Group Mission Coordinator at the Summit Rescue Group in Breckenridge, Colorado. Now, if folks are going to be doing anything in the outdoor weather, Andy, they could download our AccuWeather app. That's right. Stay on top of the latest conditions with MinuteCast. You can download the AccuWeather app. Just look for the orange sun on Google Play or the App Store. And be sure to tune in to the AccuWeather podcast next week. A brand new episode drops. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun, giving you the stories behind the weather and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or visit AccuWeather.com slash podcast. 
Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.